let me hear it. Money. Money talks. Your trusted resource for your money. Your, 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 your future. Your life. Kick it. Listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. I'm Troy Harmon here with Jacob Keen and Dr. Roger Tuttero. We've been talking about quite a few things, uh, but uh, I do want to get back over to, to some of the items that we had talked about with uh, economic data. Uh, Roger, you had said um, leading indicators came out this week. Yeah, and I mean, they were down again. So I think this is the 17th month that they've fallen. Yeah, been um, a long string. It has. And, and you look at it, you know, what, what is a recessionary signal? Well, the conference board will tell you that if you have the diffusion index, which is how many of the indicators that are moving up versus down, and that's down more than 50 percent, which it is. But the big trigger is they expect anytime you get about a 4 percent decrease in the indicators over a 12 month period, that's a recession signal. Right. Well, we're down 3.2 percent now over the last six months so you annualize that and you're looking at what three six and a half percent yeah and you know there's there's no way to slice this where it doesn't say the leading indicators are signaling recession is imminent now typically the leading indicators turn to about seven months before the economy but if we've had 17 consecutive months with them falling we're a little bit overdue the one thing we have to put as a point of caution here which is that a lot of the relationships between economic sectors and economic data were changed during the pandemic. And so it's possible that the indicators are not giving us quite as clean of a read as maybe in normal times they might. Uh, now, you, you and I talked before the show about the yield curve has yep. historically has been a great predictor, and it's one of the 10 indicators. Uh, the issue with the yield curve is always, you know, if you get an inversion, is it telling you that the long rates are dropping because the world expects the economy to slow? Or is it telling you that it, the, the short-term rates have been pushed too high? And of course, you know, we now have have what, 525 basis points higher on the short end of the yield curve right. than we were 18 months ago. But what has changed over the last couple of months is that the long end has been coming up again. It has. So it's actually flattening yeah. a little bit, which, yeah. it, which you know, is not untyp- atypical for a little bit of flattening right before the recession kicks in. Yeah, we saw pretty significant over the, over the last month, for sure. Right. Um, the, 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 the part that doesn't appear to line up is we're going to get a really good number for third quarter GDP growth when it comes out next week. Uh, some people are giving it as high as a 5% handle on it. Uh, I think you probably come in a little below that. But that's still going to be a pretty robust number. So I remind people, though, that GDP is not what defines a recession. For a recession, they're looking at a period of diminishing activity in production, trade, income, and employment. Right. And two of those three, uh, sales... Um, or they're up slightly in real terms, but there's once again inflation is distorting everything. So you look at the retail sales data, which came out this week and was pretty strong. But if you take out the inflation, retail sales really haven't risen that much over the last 12 months. Industrial production up modestly over the last right. 12 months. So really, it's the labor market, it's those employment gains and the associated income gains that are what's holding up the kind of the contemporaneous. Uh, indicator. Right. Now, um, one of the other pieces that is a part of that leading indicator is the stock market. Right. And the stock market is pretty significantly positive this year. Right. The long-term average being about 10%. We've seen it as high as 20% this year. Uh, at the moment, it's about 13 and a half. Right. Um, so, you know, when you, when you factor that in, um, one of the pieces that Jacob was talking about doesn't necessarily make sense. You've got higher interest rates. You would expect that asset values decline. And that really hasn't been 
100% correct this time. And, and not only would it be able, the traditional argument, higher interest rates mean that the present value of the earnings stream should be lower. Correct. But also, if you think at it from an asset allocation perspective, I mean, who, 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 who owned bonds five years ago that wouldn't want to own them now when you can actually get some kind of return? Yeah. I mean, we're flirting with 5% on the 10-year Treasury bond. If you buy that, not only are you getting 5%, but if yields go down in the future, you'll have a capital gain. Right. So, right. Right. Well, and you know what's bizarre about that is we're we're looking at the potential for th- the third year in a row of negative returns on the bond market. Right. Uh, well, which is kind of hard to swallow, even though you are getting a better yield. Right. If you look at a diversified long-end strategy where you're owning both treasury and corporates, so think like Barclays Ag, but a, a, a bit longer than that. If you're invested in that asset class peak the trough has been as bad as equities did yeah in the great financial crisis yeah right. you know you're talking about being down 50 percent. so to your point you know if you if you rode that down and you, you're not looking to you know reallocate into bonds now then you know what are you waiting on yeah, that's yeah, right. No doubt. And I know for the financial planning you do here at Hensler Financial, I mean, you know, y'all have always advocated money you don't need for 10 years. You go heavily into sure. equities with. But I, I, for some of the more mature investors, they are going to see an attractive yield on, on fixed income. No doubt. In a way that they had not in quite a long time. Quite a long time. Yeah, it's been, been uh, what, what are we at, like a 22-year high on the 10-year treasury, I think it's, it is? Or at least 2007, it may be yeah. before that. Yeah, yeah, right in that range, but yeah, I mean, at the top end of like the 20-year range, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and we haven't we haven't even considered the mortgage market, which is you know now flirting with eight percent, and that's probably a 23, 24 year high. Yeah, national average this week eight seventeen. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Rough. Uh, Kelly Lynn. Yes. You said you were going to dig in our mailbag. What did you come up with? I found I found one from Stan. He had this probably we've probably been sitting on this for a while, but he says, um, "How real is the threat that resumed student loan payments will derail the economy?" Some sources say that it's going to wipe out four hundred dollars per person per month, or it'll shave off like four percent of the or point four percent of total consumer spending. Also. Now that this payment's back on the books, will we see more people looking for jobs? Hmm. So how's that going to also, I guess he's like, how's it going to affect employment? Yeah, there's a Because we've always talked about labor participation rate. Right. Now, I know President Biden tried to get a lot of this pushed off or, you know, basically absolve uh, student loans uh, right. and, and the borrowers of the debt. But uh, the numbers that I've been seeing is somewhere around 40 million people have student loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't been paid them because they were given a, a reprieve from that during COVID. And uh, October is the month that it was supposed to come back in play. Now, I've seen numbers from as low as, you know, $200 a month yep. up to... You know, as much as five or six hundred dollars. Yeah. So I think. Well, I think when they do those numbers, you see it as in undergrad versus graduate level, I see. and obviously, I think they have different rates versus in different borrowing limits. So yeah. I think the combined number is not necessarily. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, yeah, I was average. a recent student, but I, I can tell you that I really didn't have to borrow too much money, fortunately, to go through all of that. But uh, uh, you're talking somewhere between potential 10 to 16 billion dollars a month mm-hmm. being needed for repayment. But, you know, you hit on a good point, which is, you know, there's the, there's the aggregate number, but how it's distributed matters, too. If most right. of the debt is held by people in middle or lower middle income 
strata, then that's a significant hit for them. Right. I mean, if it's a neurosurgeon who has debt from, from medical school, it's probably a little bit less problematic. You would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of it. But there's it a bigger picture out there, I think, in ter- about consumption versus savings. And one of the things that happened during the pandemic is we had a spike in our savings rate. Right. Part of it early on was because when you couldn't go to the restaurant, you couldn't go to the movie theater, you saved some cash. And then, of course, when all the stimulus checks came out, what happened to some degree is what economic theory would predict. Milton Friedman used to teach us that people consume out of their permanent income, not their transitory. And so they saved a lot of the stimulus cash. Initially. And initially, and they paid down some debt with it. Right. But by the time you got into probably the latter part of 2021, things reversed and savings went below trend. Yeah. So there's a couple academic papers out there and white papers from banks that suggest that it could have been as high as, you know, over $2 trillion of excess savings. And That's now what we've I've burned seen. through, you know, by my calculations, we probably burned through 75% of that. Yeah. So when that excess savings is gone, then the question will be, is that going to be the, the last crack before the consumers fill it? Yeah. I think some of the data that I'm seeing kind of confirms that to an extent as well. And that not only have we seen savings rates decline, but I think a lot of the lower to middle income are trying to maintain that same, same standard of living right. by running up their credit cards. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a so there's we've seen a there's a limit on (laughs) consumer debt, like credit card debt that we haven't. And delinquency rates on credit card debt are starting to deteriorate a little bit, beginning to rise. And so, you know, of course, most most of these credit cards, the the rates on them are so high that it's not the interest rate going up effect. If you want to look for defaults in the economy because of higher rates, it's more likely going to be on things such as corporate side. Sure. Right. You know, the one great thing about mortgage rates, I mean, we're talking about eight percent is nobody has. Has very few people have variable rate mortgages anymore. Right. So luckily, people locked in on fixed rates, so they're not that exposed to it. Well, I mean, isn't that the reason that we saw housing, the the existing home sales fall apart, you know, early in the year because people didn't want to get rid of their three percent mortgage. Right. Yeah. To Love buy a new house where they were going to have to get at that time five percent sure. sounded high, and now it's eight percent. Yeah, so. we've we've locked them in place with the, right. with these higher mortgage yeah. rates, longer and, term. Uh, the the corporate piece, you know, at some point, you know, they're going to have maturities. They're going to start having maturities, so the rate will increase. Right. Uh, while at the moment, a lot of corporations can just sit and enjoy the fact that they borrowed a couple of years ago when rates were really low. Uh, but I think you start seeing 24, I think 20, that's 25. a key piece in all of this is if you look at and sort of like the private, more revolving right. credit, those businesses are already feeling the effect. But if you think of the corporate debt markets, a lot of that got tapped just post the exog- exogenous shock of COVID. They went out and raised a ton of debt at right. very low rates. So a lot of those corporations from that point forward we're good for another two or three years but you do have this wall of maturities that's probably coming in 2024 2025 so when you think about fed funds rate going from zero to five percent or even the 10-year you know getting to five percent a lot of these corporations when they go to refinance that debt in 2024 2025 are going to see their interest expense double if not yeah, more than right. that. Profitability, you'll get squeezed on that as well. And, and that's that's a negotiable debt market, but a lot of business debt is, of course, from financial institutions. Right. And some of those are variable rate credits. And so, prime rate was three twenty five early twenty twenty two, and now it's eight fifty. So yeah. that's quite a move. And uh, uh, you know, those, those for the banks, those the debt service ratios when the prime was at three and a quarter were great, but now at eight fifty, a little bit tougher. Yeah, and speaking of banks, they've uh, they've kind of got out in front of this thing and tightened up credit. Uh, 
uh, you know, the, the, all the details that you have to, the, the, whole, the hoops you have to jump through in order right. to get new loans. So uh, they've tightened their, their uh, uh, credit details and, uh, you know, the, the overall market, the financial markets have not moved that much yet. But uh, right. usually there is a bit of a lag. Yeah, but I think um, it's five quarters, I think, now in a row that you've seen tightening, at least as is reported by banks and yep. Federal Reserve. Yeah. Yep. And the other interesting question is, of course, this week we had B of A's earnings coming out. And uh, although they did not have to, you know, they're, they're a big enough institution where they can hold bonds in the hold of maturity bucket. Sure. But Brian Moynihan acknowledged the magnitude of the mark-to-market loss if they had to mark those bonds sure. to market. And they're not alone. It was no, no. That's it was an unreal amount. I want right. to say it was $130 billion. Right. I, I don't, I don't, and I don't, held to maturity loss if, if they had to sell today that they would take, which yeah. is just... And luckily, well, they don't. They that, don't have to sell it. Fundamentally, that's yeah. what triggered in Silicon Valley's right. case is when sure. they started having withdrawals, they had to liquidate bonds. Absolutely. Right. At that Absolutely. point, market the market. All right. Well, uh, that's about all we have for this particular show. We appreciate you listening. I'll ask one more question. What do you think, Jacob? Market up or down this week? Uh, let's go up. All right. I'm always going to tell you up. Roger, I'll ask you, but I know the answer. Well, the answer is clearly, as they say on Wall Street, those who know never say, and those who say never know. So, so, I'm, I'm going down, Troy. I'm all sorry. right. There we go. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Money Talks, and we'll catch you next week. This has been a production of Hensler Money Talks. All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.